0: My task this morning is to start a four-part series of teaching that your leaders are embarking upon over the next four weeks, and that is a teaching series around Christ the Shepherd, and uh, the focus is on Psalm 23. It's one of my favorite psalms. I'm, I, uh, I love to preach, but this morning I'm going to slow down and teach, because it's a teaching series, not a preaching series and i'm going to look at psalm 23 this morning and uh, the, the the request and the privilege that has been given to me by your leaders is that i would actually focus on verse 1 of psalm 23 and talk to you about the provision of god the lord is my shepherd and i shall not want and i'm going to focus on that verse this morning and in order for us to understand the beauty of this psalm 23 One of the favorite psalms. And might I say this, many of you will have heard that psalm recited at a funeral. Let me tell you this morning that Psalm 23 is not a psalm for the dead, it is a psalm for the living. Amen? I want you to remember that. Many people relegate Psalm 23 to funerals. And uh, I have buried many people as a pastor, and uh, I've I've often recited Psalm 23 at a funeral. Not for the departed, but for those that are bidding their loved ones farewell psalm 23 is a psalm for the living and it is a great psalm and in order for us to understand something of the beauty and the depth of this psalm firstly we need to understand a little bit about the author and of course we know the author of this psalm is the holy spirit but the holy spirit works through people and it was king david who wrote psalm 23 Secondly, I'm going to just begin in this introduction by teaching you a little bit of the context of Psalm 23, and then we're going to narrow in on verse 1. And you know what my aim and objective is this morning? My objective this morning is that you're going to leave this place. My goal in partnering with the Holy Spirit this morning is that you're going to leave this place, and you will never fear lack ever again in your life. And you will never be in bondage to finance or mammon ever again in your life but that you're going to understand, you're going to leave this place by revelation this morning, and you're going to go, "Woohoo! God is my provider, and I have, will never fear lack ever again. That's my aim this morning. That's what I ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to do through this word this morning. So I want to encourage you, open your hearts, open your minds, open your Bibles, in uh, whatever format they are, and, 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 and let the Spirit of God come and teach you this morning. Amen? Let's talk about King David for a moment. This incredible author, this, this shepherd boy who became a king. And not just any ordinary king. He was a king that God the Father himself said in the book of Acts 13, 22. It says this, this is, the, this is God our Father speaking. And he says this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Because he will do everything I want him to do. Wouldn't you love God to say that of you? That she's a woman after my own heart. Well, he's a man after my own heart. And this was the shepherd boy who had become king. And this is how God saw his chosen shepherd, David. David was a profound man. He learned to be faithful in all the circumstances of his life. He was faithful in obscurity. And obscurity, those are seasons when you are alone, when no one's watching you. You feel invisible. No one knows you. You feel as if you are out of sight. You can even feel like that in this church. God takes us through seasons where we wonder if anybody even notices who we are. It could be in the work environment. No matter what the circumstances are, David went through a season of obscurity. He was a little shepherd boy out in the fields looking after his father's sheep, yet he proved faithful in obscurity. He defended someone else's sheep. He protected them. He watched over them. He took them out. He brought them in. He fed them. He guided them. He guarded them. He protected them from the lion and the bear. In obscurity when nobody was watching other than God himself, David was faithful in obscurity, and even in obscurity, he saw the goodness of God. Even though no one was around to see how well he was doing, he was faithful in obscurity. Sometimes we can do things in life because we want people to take notice of what we do. This was a testing time for the shepherd boy David. He was faithful in obscurity. The second place where David was faithful, he was faithful in despair, a season of despair. He had been anointed king of Israel, but yet it took years and years for him to take the throne. Saul was still the king, but David was the anointed king. And he fled from Saul, who wanted to kill him. And he ends up in a cave, a cave called Adullam, and he was in despair. And he had every opportunity to react in the flesh and to take things into his own hands and do them his way or to react to his circumstances. But yet, David remained faithful even in despair. And in despair, he still saw the goodness of God, if you read the Psalms. And so he was faithful in despair because he could still see the goodness of God in despairing circumstances the third place where david was tested as the shepherd boy in his preparation to become king was in the area of victory because david the shepherd boy eventually ascended the throne of israel as the anointed king and he was a king like no other other than the king of all kings he became victorious With great victory, and great resources, and great wealth, and great provision. And very often when our purses are full, God is far from us, because we forget Him. People think in victory, when they've got it all, they're going to be close to God, but it's very often in victory that we forget the God who's actually given us victory. And David was faithful in victory, because even in his victory, he saw. The goodness of God. And we see that if you read through this revelation that David had of the goodness of God. Because God is good. David's revelation in all the circumstances of his life was that God is good regardless of the circumstances. And that revelation caused him to be faithful. No matter what, you read all the psalms that were penned by David. All the Lord is psalms, and you hear that you capture the heart of this shepherd boy who became king. Where God said he's a man after my own heart. He says the Lord is the one who sustains me. The Lord is the is King forever and ever. The Lord is my light and salvation. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is the great God. The Lord is good and His love endures forever. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is the shade at my right hand. In other words, He's close. The Lord is good to all. And the Lord is righteous in all His ways. This are just some of the Lord is statements that King David made at the different times of his life. Whether it was in obscurity or in despair or even in victory. He could always say at all times because of who he knew or what he knew of his God, the Lord is. The Lord is good. That is the author of Psalm 23. The second thing we need to note before we get into verse 1 is this. There's a context for Psalm 23. You know, every verse has a context, and every verse and every word. Every word has the meaning according to the, the verse, and the verse, the chapter, the chapter, the book, the book, the whole Bible. Now, Psalm 23, this beautiful psalm that we're going to get into in a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. It actually has a context. And the context is this. The Bible describes the shepherd Jesus in three ways. The first way is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Can all of you on this side say good shepherd? None of you, just you. Can you say good shepherd? Good shepherd. The second description that the scriptures give of Jesus, the shepherd, is that he is the great shepherd. In the middle, can you all say great shepherd? Not here. There, just there only, great shepherd. And all of you over that side, the third way that the Scriptures describe the shepherd Jesus, chief shepherd. Can you say chief shepherd? Chief shepherd. Chief shepherd. Chief shepherd. So we've got the good shepherd. Yeah. Come on, you've got to work with me here. We've got the great shepherd. Here we go. And the chief shepherd. What is that? One, two, three? One, two, three? One, two, three? Two, three? Two, three. Now, all of you keep, don't say a word. Can you say Psalm 20 through? Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Psalm 23. Psalm 24. You got it? Can you say past? Present. future Future. you see the context of psalm 23 is psalm 22 and 24 because in psalm 22 it tells us that jesus christ is the good shepherd and he is the good shepherd he says so in the new testament in the gospels he says i am the good shepherd because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep are you with me psalm 22 deals with your past through the death of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 says that He was pierced and that His garments, they cast lots for His garments in Psalm 22. We know in the New Testament that's exactly what actually happened. So Psalm 22 refers to the Good Shepherd and Jesus said, I'm the Good Shepherd because the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Let's go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, who is this King of glory? Open up the gates so that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. And Psalm 24 talks about the chief shepherd, and he's chief because he's returning for his sheep. Woo! And it's coming soon. So we got Psalm 22. Deals with your past. He's good as a shepherd because He died for you. Psalm 24 says that He is the chief shepherd. And He's the chief shepherd because He's returning for you. But right in the middle, that deals with your future. But right in the middle, we learn that He is the great shepherd. Psalm 23, because He lives for you in the now. The great shepherd lives for dies for you, he is the good shepherd, deals with your past. Sorry, that's the good shepherd. The great shepherd lives for you in the present. Psalm 23. I'll give your pastor these notes, this framework. Maybe you can hand it out. The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the king of glory, open up the gates. That's what we long for. Let the King of glory come in. The Scriptures tell us that He is the chief because He's returning. But let's get to Psalm 23 because it is a psalm for the living, for the now, in your now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is in the now. The The great shepherd lives for you in the now. Have you got that? Psalm 22, Psalm 23... Psalm 24, past, present, and future. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray your richest of blessings upon each and every one of them. I pray, Holy Father God, you will come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you will do a mighty work within their hearts this morning. A mighty work within their hearts this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 23, please. And verse 1. It's one of my favorite Psalms. In actual fact, one of the things I've been doing for years in the botanical gardens is whenever I see, when I meet a mighty man, or a mighty with, with, uh, this is this is for men, when I meet a mighty man of God and the Lord knits our hearts, I often go for a walk. I take for men on walks in the botanical garden. And there's a bridge in the botanical gardens in uh, Totra Park. There's one bridge along the creek. And my leadership team in the church have called it Psalm 23 Bridge because they know that Michael's going to take you to that creek on that bridge and he's going to recite to you Psalm 23 and he's going to pray over you. And it's very true. You can speak to Frankie and Essendon and Charles and Ben and all of Joseph and all of them. They've stood with me on that bridge for the past 20 years. And I've recited to them this psalm, Psalm 23. Could you all please stand? Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. the Lord is my shepherd that's weak the Lord, shepherd. the Lord is my shepherd 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 can we do that together let's say it once just say can you say the Lord is my shepherd it sounds terrible Let's try it again. The Lord is my shepherd. The oh, Lord is my shepherd. You can do better than that. We're going to do it once more. One more chance only. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, once more. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You may be seated. We see men and women in the Bible who understand, had revelation that the Lord, the Lord is their shepherd. You cannot be in want until you have revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not just Savior, but He is Lord. And many have revelation of their salvation, but they don't understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And so the Lord is my shepherd. David knew this. David knew this. When they were coming out, the Philistines with Goliath were coming out on a daily basis, the Scripture is saying, and doing the haka, or whatever dance they were doing, the Israelites would quiver in their boots. Their knees would knock together. When Goliath would come out, they would run away. Because they looked at their circumstances. What did David say? But God, little shepherd boy, Honed in the fires of obscurity. Faithful because he has revelation of the goodness of God. What does he do? You come against me with javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the captain of the host. I come against you in the name of the Lord. And it says that David with a few stones ran to the front line to meet Goliath. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's many of you that are sitting here this morning, we live in an environment and we live in circumstances, we live in a world that is difficult to live in. It is challenging to live in. With economic inequality, people struggling financially, politics that has gone absolutely haywire, capitalism has lost its face, Socialism and Marxism is rearing its head. There's cancel culture. There's racism. There's the, 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 the culture issues have become divisive. We live in a toxic world that, that Jesus warned us of. And we will not survive unless we begin with the revelation, the Lord is my shepherd. And some of you, when you leave this place this morning, this week, you're going to have to wake up in the morning and you're going to have to stand and face the opposition that you find yourself in, the lack of whatever it is you're struggling with, and you've got to be able to stand there and rock up your inner man, your inner woman, and say, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen? David had that revelation. The Apostle Paul had that same revelation, where Paul the Apostle realized, it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul cries out, it's called a doxology, he cries out and he says, but for from him and through him and unto him are all things. Paul the Apostle knew where his help came from. Paul the Apostle had revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He had revelation that in good and in bad, he could endure, he could overcome, because the Lord is his shepherd. Abraham said exactly the same thing. He knew that he would never lack because of the lordship of his God. Abraham said, God himself will provide. When he took his child up, his only son, up on the mount to sacrifice his son, his He had it in his heart, the Lord will provide. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The I shall not want follows on from the revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. King David said exactly the same thing later on when they brought in all the offerings, all the offerings for the temple. And David marveled at this. His son Solomon was going to build the temple. And in 1 Chronicles 29, David David prayed to God and he said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. Everything comes from you. And we see throughout the Scriptures, whether it was Peter the Apostle or any of the apostles or the giants in the faith, they had revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And friends, when you have that revelation, you become secure. You become immovable. When your eyes are fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith and not on your circumstances, courage, not fear, will course through your veins and you'll be anxious for nothing regardless of the circumstances. Amen? Amen? We do live in crazy times. We live in terrible times. I want you to please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. In Matthew chapter 6. And while I'm teaching this and you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, I want I want to be transparent with you this morning. Because Paul the Apostle says, I've learned to be content with a little, and I've learned to be content with much. And then Paul goes on to say, In all situations where there's very little and when there's a lot, I learn to be content. I've been through circumstances, my wife and I, where we've had lots of money. And I've been through circumstances where we've had absolutely nothing. And some of you here this morning, you might be in the lots. Some of you might just be in the just survive. Others of you might be sinking financially, swimming in debt. I honestly know what it means to be in that situation. I've been a wealthy man. And I've been a poor man financially. I've had lots and very little. But Paul, I learned to be content in all circumstances. So what I'm sharing with you now from Matthew chapter 6 is not theory, but it's practice personally. In Matthew chapter 6, and I want to encourage you, this is a key passage of Scripture for all the disciples of Jesus Christ in the times we found ourselves in. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. I want to pause there. He has an instruction from Jesus. He's saying there are two places you can invest your treasure. One is heavenly treasures or earthly treasures. What is Jesus saying here? Well, let's move on and have a look. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he makes a peculiar statement. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a very interesting thing that Jesus is actually saying here. Jesus is saying there are two kinds of treasures that in your life that will last forever. The two kinds of treasures, one that has eternal significance and one that has temporary significance. Jesus says here that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money or run after money and serve Jesus. You cannot serve both God and mammon. What is the thing that has gripped this planet the most at the moment? There are two things that the globe fears today. The fear of death and the fear of not having enough. The fear of death from COVID and the fear of not having enough. We are in a global financial crisis. The times we live in economically are unprecedented. Never before have governments actually stopped economies completely, not even during the Great Depression in the 20s. And the aftershocks and the repercussions across the planet, we have not even felt them yet. And so, economically, there are difficult days ahead. And if there's ever a time we need revelation that God is Jehovah Jireh, He is my provider, He is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it is now. And the same shepherd says to us, you cannot in a crisis like this serve two masters. You've got to serve wholeheartedly one and not the other. And we're going to see why in a moment. He makes a profound statement. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad or if your eyes are dark, your whole body will be full of darkness. What is Jesus saying here? Well, this is called a figure of speech. It's called an idiomatic expression, a figure of speech. The Scottish would say, that man, he's got deep pockets and short arms. The English say, oh, that man, he's a Scrooge. Now, how many of you know the word Scrooge from the movie Scrooge? In other words, he's not generous. The Scots go deep pockets, his wallet is down here, but his arms are short, he can never get to them. Other cultures say, oh, he's tight-fisted. That man's tight-fisted. I don't know, what what, what would the Samoans say? Is there a figure of speech in Samoa? You go, he's... he's what is it? Iu, 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 Iu. Is that right? Am I pronouncing it the right way? He's Iu. That guy, Iu. So Jesus is saying here. What he's saying here is the man who is Iu is full of darkness. But the man who's generous is full of light. I want you to get this point here. This is not about vision, about the eye and vision. This is, if you understand Jewish culture, this is an expression. If if, if Jesus was speaking to the Scots, he would go, a man who's got deep pockets and short arms is full of darkness. But a man who's got short pockets and long arms is full of light. What Jesus is saying here is a man or a woman who's not I-U is full of light. But a man who is I-U is full of darkness. Why? Because a spirit of mammon wants to strike fear into your heart. You worship and you idolize what you fear. That's why we fear the Lord and God only. You begin to worship and you begin to idolize what you fear and fear becomes your Lord. Anxiety becomes your Lord. And what Jesus is saying here, He's simply saying this, I am your shepherd. You follow Me, you shall not be in want. And when you have revelation that I am your shepherd, you will not be i you will not be stingy, you will not be greedy, you will not fear lack, because the fear of lack causes a man or a woman to shrink in their hearts. It shuts down the heart and it closes the hand. Are you with me? You can't serve two masters. You learn to love the one and hate the other. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said through Abraham, all the, all the children of Abraham, which is you and I this morning, all nations will be blessed through you. It takes a generous, spirited-hearted, open-hearted, handed people. It takes a, one of the hallmarks of being a disciple of Jesus is the hallmark of Generosity. And you know, do you know how you break that cycle of fear? You give. <laughs> because a hand that fears is a hand that closes. An open hand understands the source. A closed hand focuses on the loaves and the fish and a small boy's lunch. A closed hand or a man who is I, ooh, will just actually focus on a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. But a man who is not Ayu, and who understands that the Lord is His shepherd regardless of circumstances sees the miracle in the loaves and the fish. She sees the miracle in the flour and the oil. And becomes open-handed. God, and what does God do? Mammon gets displaced. The fear of mammon gets displaced. And the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my provider. And so I put the flour and the oil in his hands. I put the fish and the loaves in his hands. And what does he do? He multiplies and he blesses. Amen. And so Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And then here's the key verse of this whole chapter. This Verse 33. Watch this. In verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all the things that you need, the clothing, the homes, the food, the schools, the shoes, whatever you need, not your greedy desires, and once your needs will be taken care of by the Lord. We need this guarantee right now, this day, in Auckland, in, the, in, 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 in this economic crisis we find ourselves in. More than ever before, there's the guarantee. Seek first my kingdom. In other words, seek first me, and seek first my will, and my righteousness. And I'm going to add it all to you. I got puzzled, and I—I think I've. Let me take five minutes to bring this to a close. To seek first the kingdom, is exactly what David did. His eyes were fixed on the king. Apostle Paul, eyes are on the king. The apostle Peter, eyes are on the king. Abraham, eyes are on the king, not the circumstances. The boat is rocking. Nah, don't look at the waves, look at me. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But what does it mean to seek his righteousness? This is very important, and then I'm going to pray for you. What does it mean to seek the righteousness of God? How can I seek what I already have? How can I seek what I already am? Because the Bible says, when I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees a righteous Michael. Because he sees me through the blood of his son, Jesus. And so I have the righteousness of Christ. And I remember crying out a while ago to the Lord, and I remember I told him, saying to God, Lord, I don't understand this. What does it mean to seek what I've already been given through the cross? I want to encourage you when you don't understand the Scriptures, just write it down. And if God doesn't reveal it then and there, in time He will reveal it. And one day I was actually going through again, Lord, teach me, what does this mean? And this is what the Spirit of God said to me. He said, Son, you stand righteous in Christ, but you live righteous through Christ. You are righteous, but you must walk in paths of righteousness. And when it comes to your money, although you stand in righteousness, you must be righteous with your money. You must be righteous in how you live. It's paths of righteousness. Lead me. Psalm 23, lead me in paths of righteousness. Someone will cover this. But lead me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And do you know what it means to be righteous and righteous paths with what God blesses you with? I'll summarize it is to bless the poor. Be a good steward of what God has given you. Bring to God His portion. So generously, look after the poor. Those things are treasures in heaven. Look after those who have need. Take care of one another. Bless one another. Be a good steward of the finance that God has given you. Don't get into the trap of debt. And if you're in a debt trap, do whatever you can. Get help from your church family, from your leaders. Go to them and say, I am am the tail and not the head. I am in debt up to my eyeballs. You've got to help me. Help break this thing of the fear of mammon, the anxiety of a mammon. You with me? It's not just about your tithes and your offerings. It's far more. It's not just about giving. It's about budgeting. It's not just about those things. It's about multiplying what you have. It's a full package deal. It is walking righteously with the things that God entrusts to you, whether a boy's lunch or a widow's oil and flour. And i tell you something. I is the lamp of the body. And if it's dark, if, the, if it becomes stingy, you see what actually happens is the fear of lack causes us to shrink. Jehovah Jireh will expand you. He'll expand your heart. I know people who are iu. Believe you me, and their lives are miserable. They're critical. They're ungracious. They're ungrateful. Iu because of fear. We don't fear the lack of money. God is the provider of all things. He opens the channels of blessing. If one channel closes, and He may close it deliberately on you, He wants to test where's your heart, in the channel or in the man, in the God who opens the channel of blessing. If He closes one channel, He will simply open another. And you may go through a little season of where you're being tested. My wife and I, we were rich, rich at one point in our lives, financially, years and years ago. I lost it all. From our wife, we would walk through a shopping with their shopping carts, never worry about what anything would cost. We never worried about money or the lack, but my security was in my stuff, and God took it all away. Went through a season of nothing. I remember getting on my knees in our lounge, and the fire was burning. These were many years ago in Africa, and I said, "Honey." This thing, money, has gripped my heart. I had nothing. The lady had to come to our home, knock on the front door, and give me a, 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 bowl, a bowl of food. So I could feed our children. Had nothing from being very wealthy. And I remember getting on my knees, and from that day, my wife and I, we made a we, we said to God, never again will we be mastered by money. And we've had challenges that have come since then. But the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He is my shepherd. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his righteous way of living in all things. Your heart begins to get filled with light. Mammon begins to get dispelled off you. The fear of lack begins to dissipate, begins to disappear. Even in the midst of a crisis, called Cornelius in the book of Acts. God sends an angel to him and says to Cornelius, he says, Cornelius, this is the angel. God sends an angel to Cornelius and says to Cornelius, Cornelius, your prayers, your prayers and your giving to the poor and helping others is a memorial before the Lord treasury of heaven. Don't store up yourself treasures on earth. Store in heaven through your righteous acts towards your church family and towards your pastors and towards your community and towards others. Your righteous acts are a storehouse of treasure in heaven. You know what God does for Cornelius? Who's a non-Jew? Cornelius has got his whole household together and all his friends. You know what God does? Bring salvation and revival to his home the treasury of heaven just opened up and the people walking in darkness Pastor Tauro saw great light what was the trigger their prayers and their righteous giving storing up treasures in heaven wow And the floodgates of salvation opened isn't that powerful I'm going to ask you if you'd all please stand.